Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Um, so this Sunday is Alpha Sunday, so it's an opportunity for, uh, for us to just hear um, from Sammy and she's going to interview uh, a couple of people just sharing their stories about what Jesus has done in their lives and the difference that going on an Alpha course made as well. So why don't we welcome Sammy uh, as she comes to interview uh, Nikki and Chris and Denise. Thank you. I love Alpha Sunday because I get to interview some brilliant people and so the first person I want to introduce you to, you're very familiar with, but I don't know if you know some of the background. So, Nikki is someone who pretty much runs Emmaus. She <laughs> she's our director of operations. She, when she's not in the office, or looking after her three, or should I say four, boys, uh, you can find her... You can find her running in the Surrey Hills training for her next triathlon, which sends shivers down my spine, pretty <laughs> quite frankly. She loves a challenge. She is constantly up for sport or board games or sorting out how she can make Emmaus better. She is the most amazing person, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Nikki, where are you? Come and join me on the stage. Everyone, this is Nikki Kuzak. <laughs> going to move these chairs. Come sit here. <laughs> we have coordinators quite well. Look at that, black and white. So, Nikki, tell us a bit of your background. How did you come to faith? Um, is that good? Is this working? Okay. Um, so, uh, raised in kind of in a Christian family. Um, when my sister was five, she said to my dad, who's Jesus, one evening when uh, she's going to bed and he couldn't really answer. So he went to find out and um, got saved. A uh, year later, mum followed uh, reluctantly at first. So yeah, raised in a Christian family. Um, at about 14, I um, just got a bit disengaged with a local church and did not have any of this um, and stopped going to church at 14 um, for 12 years. Uh, when I was about 20 at uni, um, mum told me, that she um, had multiple sclerosis and had had it for 10 years, um, but she could no longer hide um, the symptoms, so she needed us to know. So that was my first year at uni. Um, and then the, um, Christmas, the Christmas term um, after that, I, you know, I don't know how many people put on a bit of weight when they went their first time of uni, beers and pies and pizza at three in the morning and all that stuff. Anyway, that was me. And... Um, I came on Christmas, my auntie said to me, as a sort of passing comment, probably for her, oh, Nikki, you've put on a bit of weight. Um, fast forward two weeks, and I'd started throwing up um, food. Um, and that was set the beginning of seven years of bulimia for me. I think at the time I had no, I didn't connect them, but I think when I look back, I'm pretty sure that was um, probably the trigger for me. Um, when I was 26, 27, 1999 anyway, you can, I'm 45, so you don't need to work it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm happy, age gracefully. Um, 
my sister, my sister had kind of done a similar You're journey. You're very, very good for it, so don't, you don't have um, to hide anything. My sister followed sort of a similar journey to me, come away from church, come back. She was at this time a missionary in Brazil and um, uh, with a charity called Happy Child, working with street children. And I really wanted to see her, and I'd never been to Brazil, but I really didn't want to go because it was Christians. Um, but I went because I wanted to see her more. And on the very last day, she um, said, oh, can I just pray for you? And I was kind of like, okay. You know, I was kind of being, pr prayer wasn't too much of a weird thing, having been raised in, in a Christian family. And then this other lady called Caroline said, oh, can I join? And I think I'd seen her twice, but not met her. And I was like, yeah, sure. So they were praying for me. And um, I didn't know anything about hearing from God or words or any of that. And she just said, oh, I feel like God's saying to me, this is Caroline, that you want to make a commitment or a recommitment. And it was strange because 10 minutes earlier, going to that prayer time, I was just the same. Nikki hadn't even really thought about it. And in that moment, suddenly, everything that had happened that wow. I'd sort of known from, you know, being in church when I was younger and all of that um, just came flooding back. And I felt like I was on the edge of it. For those that have done a bungee jump, you know, that feeling when you're on the edge and it kind of, you know, you're going to be safe when you jump, but you have to make that decision to jump. Yeah. And I'd done one not that long no. before, so... <laughs> <laughs> so I just felt like that's where I was, and, and God was saying, it's up to you whether you take whether you make the jump, um, but you're going to be safe, and I really felt like I needed to, and um, so in that moment, I said, yeah, I think I do, and then I, I had my eyes closed, probably really tightly shut, and I heard my, I think it was my sister dashing off, but it was my sister, came back, and then she said, oh, I've got, um, let's read this prayer, um, which is a prayer in the back of it. It's a book called Why Jesus, and it's kind of a sort of thank you, sorry, please sort of prayer, which is a really good prayer to pray when you're trying to, sort of, when you make sort of commitment, and she read it. Um, and I found out afterwards that my dad had, had sent this booklet and a couple of others out to my sister two weeks before and said, you might need this for Nikki. Wow. So, um, so that was amazing, because my, my dad had sent me um, Alpha News, for those that are old enough to remember Alpha News, a newspaper they used to produce, and he sent it to me for about seven years, and it would circle all the Alpha courses local to me, because I was living in the Midlands. Amazing. And um, it got to the point where I saw it, recognized it, and often didn't open it. Not because I didn't love my dad, but I was just kind of like, I know what this is. Uh. Um, so, yeah. That's yeah. incredible. It's amazing how instrumental your sister and your dad yeah. have been in you. Yeah. Coming back to faith. Yeah, and then when I look back, I know, well, they told me that they just prayed like crazy for those 12 years. Wow. Um, for me, as I journeyed through, um, you know, experimenting with drugs and drink and <laughs> relationships so and that weren't maybe so great. So what happened next? So you found your faith again. You so found my, so found my faith. Um, went home to thinking, crikey, what do I do now? None of my friends were Christians. Um, two people I knew that were Christians lived in London, and I was living in the Midlands. Um, and um, this was in the August, and then at Christmas, I went to a fundraiser for my sister's charity and met a girl called Rachel, who was taking her non-Christian boyfriend to Alpha in the January, this term here, so this term 18 years ago for yeah. me. And um, <laughs> I come to remember thinking, I know people say this before, she looks normal, she's nice, she's doing Alpha, because I was just slightly afraid of the whole church, Christian-y people. And um, I went, well, I'm going to go to the one she's doing. Yeah. Um, so I did that, but it was a four. I worked in Northampton, so every Wednesday night I'd drive two hours to London in rush hour. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, did Alpha um, at HCB and then drove back again. Um, and on week, I don't know what it was, seven or eight, it was the healing week. And I remember thinking as I was driving down, it felt like a very long two hours. Um, one that I had to tell my parents I'd had bulimia um, for all this time. And 
also uh, more because I wanted them to pray for me because I really wanted to ask for healing on the healing week and I was terrified and um so um made those calls and they're amazing whether they knew and I didn't realize they knew or whatever but they were really amazing about it and prayed for me and so on the night we got to the healing thing and you go around the, the circle and who wants healing and my memory is it was kind of oh I've got sore elbow sore knee sore foot and I was like oh, oh my gosh I can't pop how am I going to do this this is like massive my yeah. heart was just I was like everyone can hear my heart beating I was sweating I was oh it's awful and um you know you kind of like you know the countdown three two one if I don't say it now I'm going to miss my chance anyway I said I wanted that you know I've got bulimia I would love not to have it anymore um and then we just all prayed for each other and um it was just like a kind of normal prayer someone who was on my alpha group prayed for me it wasn't a special prayer it was just well it was a special it was amazing but it was just normal very normal didn't feel anything at all um and then about two or three days later I um realized I didn't want to be sick hadn't been sick didn't anything and um you know weeks and months passed and I've been completely healed that's so, incredible yeah. that was amazing that's amazing. Yeah. Nikki, it's so wonderful yeah. to hear that. So yeah. you found your faith and God completely healed you instantly. Yeah. yeah. Of yeah. bulimia that you'd suffered from for seven, seven Yeah, and tried years. a lot to stop but not managed to. That's yeah. such, that's incredible testimony. It's so wonderful to hear that. God can do that because so often we can pray and pray and it's amazing to know that that can happen because I know that so often we can be praying for people and and we long to see these miracles and it just just doesn't seem to happen yeah. and I I know that that's been the case for you that you've prayed and prayed yeah. and just not seen that happen yeah with um obviously with mum she's had MS for nearly 40 years now and um I kind of don't really know how to pray anymore other than, um, well, it's just sort of becomes, it feels like the same old prayer, but like we keep praying. And um, so mum's had MS 40 years. Um, and then two years ago, uh, my dad's knees were not good and he was getting dropped foot. And the, a year of um, uh, doctor's appointments and just trying to work out what was wrong. And uh, in we came back from holiday in 20. Uh, 16 and I went straight with my dad had some tests done and then a week later we were s me and my sister went with him to get uh, the diagnosis from the consultant who said I think pretty sure I know what's going on and um, he was told he had motor neurone disease so that was September 2016 and um, we didn't know what his prognosis was it was you know anything between 18 months three years maybe seven like we, the doctor didn't even know um, and then, um, yeah, of course we prayed like crazy, but we could see dad was going downhill really fast. Um, in the January, my mum had a really bad stroke. Um, she was in hospital for two months, so <laughs> we switched from looking after dad to being to go down looking after mum, and dad was deteriorating at the same time. It was really full on um, time, and um, I'm not sure what I'd have done without having <laughs> God there to just talk to and uh, have by my side. Um, and um, yeah, sadly, um, we lost dad in July, on the 23rd of July, um, in last year, yeah. So so what would you say, how would, the, you've seen the, the two sides, you've seen God come mm. through massively for you, and you've yeah. seen massive healing, and you've seen God just not seem to answer the prayer. Yeah. What would you say to someone saying, well, where's God in all of that? Yeah, I just... 
I have to not question it in a sense of why, because I just have to believe there is a bigger picture going on and that actually even with my mum, I look at her and she probably has had healing along the way, but I've just not seen it or not known. Um, she probably shouldn't really still be alive and I have to think there's a reason why she's still around. Um, and um, yeah, just I just have to trust yeah. that God's got it and that he's walking with us and that we're just traveling this journey and I... I think I'd go crazy if I tried to work out why why not my dad, gorgeous, lovely, you know, man, and you know why is it okay to you know to, to heal some? So, yeah, that would be. What would you say to someone here who's maybe here for the first time, um, who maybe has come to church for the first time, or maybe is considering doing Alpha? What would you say to them? What would be your you did Alpha? Yeah, that was. What would, what would be your... Um, firstly, I made some great friends uh, great friends in Alpha. Um, I just would just... I wish I'd known about Alpha, I guess, you know, 10 years before. Um, well, actually, no, my dad did try and tell me, to be fair. Um, <laughs> um, I think what I, what I would probably say is just, just do it. Just go for it. Just go somewhere for the first week. Just try it. And you'll probably be surprised um, if you really... It's not for you or the people you meet. You're like, well, you know, try another one or, or, or try on time. But I would just say... Be brave, have the courage to just go for it. If you've been invited by a friend, they wouldn't have asked you if they didn't think it was great. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you go through, you, you get to ask all these questions, you go through anything you want, you know, you literally can ask anything. Um, and you kind of got nothing to lose, really. Um, it's just, yeah, like I say, I wish I'd known about or listened to my dad um, <laughs> a few years before. Brilliant. Nikki, thank you so, so much. Do you want to stay there whilst I interview um, our next guest? Our next guest, <laughs> Nikki Kuzak. Thank you. So I've got two more wonderful people to introduce you to. Our next guest. Um, well, they're just two fantastic, well-loved people. You will know them because they've been part of our church for so long and everyone loves them. I don't want to tell you too much about them because their story is going to tell you everything. They are much-loved members of Godalming. They helped to lead one of our Godalming collectives and um, they've been through some adversity that they're now going to talk to us about, which has helped them to really find the love and grace of God. It's Chris and Denise Arthi. Denise, 10 years ago today, your, no, not today, around now, your kids had left home, you had a new engineering post which sent you out to America, things were looking pretty good, um, tell us what happened. Well, we had a motorcycle accident, um, I've always been a very keen on motorcycles, um, I was on a bike on my 16th birthday and I'd always had this ambition to ride road trips in America so when we got this assignment that was uh, that was the big chance 
So it was my idea to go on the motorcycle trip. Denise has been very gracious about this ever since. Um, so uh, we went on this trip. We have the next picture. Yeah, there's the, the bike. Don't get me talking about the bike. It was a, a 1.8 litre Harley, Dav <laughs> Harley Davidson Road King. <coughs> um, wow. Even I know that sounds really good. <laughs> uh, this picture was taken the evening before the accident. Um, we were off on a road trip to explore the Texas coast down towards the Mexican border. Um, so the next day we were, <coughs> we were enjoying the spring sunshine, uh, May the 16th, 2008, just after a break for lunch. Um, and we were on a straight two-laner. And then <laughs> every, <laughs> everything changed, like forever. Uh, we don't have any recollection of the, uh, the accident but there was a reconstruction in a Texas courtroom a year later. And apparently, I was riding at 55 miles an hour, Denise was on the pillion, and a red vehicle coming the other way veered across the road at 80 miles an hour and hit us virtually head on. Um, so we'll have the next picture. Yeah, this was the, uh, this was the vehicle that hit us. Uh, you can see that they got spray paint on the, the grass because they thought there was going to be a fatal accident inquiry. Um, the driver was badly injured, the car caught fire, they rescued him, he survived. And the next picture, this was the, the next car in line which he also yeah. hit. Um, that was a big truck and that fence behind the truck is about 50 feet off the road. Um, and you can see what was left yeah. of the bike uh, on the grass. By yeah. that stage, we'd been um, taken away to hospital. So it turned out that the, um, the driver of the red vehicle was over three times the drink drive limit. Uh, he'd had the equivalent of half a litre of whiskey or two and a half to three bottles of wine. Um, and um, yeah, so he was, uh, he was very drunk. So that was the accident. Terrible. So what happened next? Well, I've got to do this bit because Chris just sort of left and was on another planet for about three weeks. Um, we were uh, taken by two helicopters to the nearest trauma hospital right down near the Mexican border. Um, as you can imagine, we were both severely injured. Um, we both had um, crushed left legs. Mine had to be amputated straight away. We both had broken left arms and hands. Uh, my arm was what they called degloved. I lost a lot of skin on it. Um, I had some soft tissue damage to my right ankle. We both had concussion. But Chris also had um, broken ribs, punctured lung, and ruptured spleen. So while I was in um, intensive care for a week, Chris was in for three weeks, and most of that time he was in a medically induced coma. Can we have the next slide, please? Right, so this is Chris in the coma. Um, but at the 10-day mark, he was, um, the leg was killing him. So the doctors asked myself and our eldest son, Ben, if we would sign for the amputation. And that really started um, Chris's recovery. About a month later, they moved us from the trauma hospital to the rehab hospital, which was Houston, where we lived. And we did lots and lots of therapy. If we can have the next slide, please his and hers <laughs> on the bed doing therapy. Um, 
about two months after the accident, we came home. Can we have the next slide, please? Got it. That's us home again. And um, at the four-month mark, really exciting, we got our first prosthetic legs. They're the ones you saw at the beginning. And we had to learn to walk again. And when Chris could walk 50 meters with a stick, he went back to work part-time. So, I mean, you talk about it as if it's sort of, so there we go, and we're back to work. But how, <laughs> it's incredible, how, though, with all of that, how do you cope with such tragedy that's just hit? Okay, well, we had lots and lots of support. I mean, Chris's company were utterly amazing. They arranged for our three youngsters to um, fly out to the U.S., um, at the time, Ben was 25, Tom was 22, and Miriam, who's here this morning, as, as usual, um, was just 18. Um, and they paid for them to go to hotels, they gave them a hire car, they gave them a mobile phone, they even oh. gave them spending money. Wow. And the message was, just stay until your parents are out of danger. That really is amazing. Um, the church, which we've been in for about five months only, um, the pastor visited us. It's actually a four-hour drive. He visited us for those first four weeks that we were there. He visited every week. Um, the, the church also had a building contractor, and he said, just don't worry about all the modifications you'll need to the house. So he built the wheelchair ramp up to the front door. He widened the family bathroom door. He put up all the support rails. And uh, the church paid for the materials, and he did his labor just free of charge. Uh, amazingly, the church friends and neighbors all got together and produced this w wonderful rotor. So we had uh, lifts, you know, to hospital appointments, doctor's appointments, therapy. Um, we had meals provided, and uh, we also had um, help around the house. Um, we did have to change the meal rotor, though, because this was Texas. Uh, we just couldn't eat it every night, so we had to have it every other night. Mm. <laughs> We, we realized very early on the importance of choices. Um, for the first few years after the accident, when we woke up in the morning, the first thing we would see was the wheelchair beside the bed. Mm. Uh, so it's like a, a nightmare that you wake up to rather mm. than a nightmare that you wake up from. Yeah. And that was the first choice of the day. You've got to get up, get in the wheelchair, get moving around despite everything. Mm. And, and we found that if you put enough good choices in a row, that makes a good day. Wow. If you put enough good days in a row, that makes a good week. Mm. And 10 years on, we find that, yeah, those choices build up to a, a good life. Very good. Another choice was perseverance. Uh, as I said, we had a lot of therapy to do. In fact, we had four hours every day. <laughs> and um, you have to keep going. I mean, we couldn't make a fist. Uh, we could only do that. We couldn't rotate our arms. Um, and, uh, and honestly, forcing your fingers down week after week and seeing absolutely nothing, not even getting them to the palm of your hand, you know, is, it feels hopeless. <laughs> but you have to keep going. Um, someone once said, actually, it's to do with parenting. Don't count the score at half time. Yeah. And it's just been incredibly helpful. <laughs> and we just learned, you know, just... Look at how far you've come. Don't look at how far there is to go. Yeah. 
And perhaps the most important choice was forgiveness. Um, We never felt any bitterness. It was just amazing towards the drunk driver. And that really helped us to put all our energy into recovering. When we were in the courtroom, he came over to us. He came over with tears in his eyes and he said, can you ever forgive me? And we said, well, actually, we have already forgiven you. We visited him in prison. Um, We actually had a meal with him and his wife because he longed to see us before we left America. And we were able to reassure him that, yes, we had forgiven him. But the other thing is we're still in contact with him. Um, Probably two or three times a year, we exchange emails with him. And we really wish him the best. That's amazing. You talk about forgiveness, which is incredible. How has your faith helped you uh, through all of this? Well, the, uh, the early days after the accident were a, were a bit bleak. Um, but we believed from very early on that the only reason we possibly could have survived, I mean, you don't survive a 135-mile-an-hour head-on collision on a motorcycle. Uh, the only reason we'd survived is because the assignment on our lives wasn't over. Uh, maybe it wasn't the assignment we originally had in mind. Um, maybe it's more along the lines of what we're doing this morning, and that's talking to people, encouraging them, and saying that you know, even if terrible things happen, you don't have to be under the circumstances, but you can rise above them. Um, I mean, we could have died. Uh, we nearly did. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, I mean, we'd both <coughs> loved the Lord for decades. Um, and for us, we, we don't remember the accident. There would have been no pain. We would have gone straight to the pearly gates. Mm. Um, you know, we were a popular couple in our 50s. People would have said nice things about us and mm. put flowers on our graves. <laughs> but, but what about this assignment? And, and it, would have been, it would have been terrible for the youngsters. Uh, so that, that belief in that you know, there is still work to do uh, kept us going. And I think there's another picture. Yeah, this is uh, walking back into church for the first time on our new legs. You can see that Denise just had some more arm surgery. Um, but that was, that was a, good, a good day. I can remember lying in, when I came round, lying in the hospital bed and just experiencing the presence of God. It was just utterly amazing. It was like everything had been stripped away. Um, but Jesus was still there. Um, he just never left us. I can also remember I was up in the rehab um, ward by then, and Chris wheeled himself up, <laughs> and he came into the room, and he got tears streaming down his face. And he said, do you know, he said, this is what Jesus did for us. This is just like it. And it, it wasn't just that Jesus, as I said, was with me. It wasn't that sort of presence. It was just that deep, deep knowledge that he was disfigured, he was broken, um, he was beaten, he was in pain. You know, for us, he'd, he'd been there. Wow. And that was amazing. Um, we had loads of prayer support, as you can imagine. Churches in America, churches all around the world, churches in England. And I tried to describe it to people. It was actually tangible. It was like in the room, it was like you were on a lilo, just floating above all these terrible things that you were trying to you know, work out. Um, I also found that 
um, this is a good, you know, a good plug for working in kids' work. Mm -hmm. You know, I could remember verses that I never even knew I'd learnt. Uh -huh. You know, verses that obviously I was taught years and years before came back. Um, one of them was um, Romans 8:28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And sort of very heavy on morphine and wobbly handwriting. I actually wrote it down on a piece of paper, gave it to our American pastor and said, would you please read this over Chris? And will you pin it up in his room? Um, the other thing is we had just so many cards, really encouraging cards. And because I'm a teacher, I got things from the children I'd work with. So one day in hospital, big brown envelope arrived from the uh, year twos at Whitley Infant School. And they'd written me letters. So one, set, one little girl wrote, Dear Mrs. Arthi, I was so sorry to hear about your bad crash. I hope you don't have another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew what she meant. But um, I also, a few days later, received a similar brown envelope. But this time, it was cards from the American kindergarten class where I'd been volunteering. Now, these children were only five and six. So they were a year younger. So the teacher had written things on the board for them to put in their cards. Like, you know, we miss you. Get well soon. One little girl. And honestly, this still sends shivers down me. Quite independently, she put in her card, Do you see a rainbow? And on the back, she'd drawn this beautiful rainbow. And yes, we did see a rainbow. We can still see a rainbow because every day now is a gift. Mm. Um. Amazing. So anyone that knows you, is aware of you, and all that you get up to knows that this ha accident hasn't stopped you. And um, even yesterday, you were telling me you did the... Mud, the tough mudder. It's you're incorrigible. So you've got in back into running, and then you've started it running marathons and even that. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Chris? Well, I was uh, a runner before the accident. I was I wasn't at Nikki's standard. I was just a weekend warrior, about three-hour marathon runner, and uh, <laughs> and. Obviously, losing a leg is a bit inconvenient if you're a runner. Uh, the, um, but it was almost as if God said, yeah, Chris, I know the running was important to you. And because I love you, I'm going to give you the running back again. It won't be the same, but I'm going to give it back to you again. And he did. So a year and a half after the accident, I got my first running leg. There we go. <coughs> it took me a year before I could run five kilometers without stopping. Um, but it was it was worth the effort. So I've done a number of half marathons and two full marathons. I didn't run London Marathon last week. I'm really pleased because I know it's very hot. But I, I did it a year ago, and <laughs> that's right. Yeah, had to had to be here for Vision Sunday. Yeah, <coughs> and uh, so that was the that was the running, and then I got a, a cycling leg. Um, now this wow. has got a, a freewheeling knee, and it clips on on the left-hand side. Uh, the left leg is getting a bit of a free ride, so the, the right leg does most of the work. Um, so I got back cycling again. And then um, 
I went, uh, I joined a master's swim club and they taught me how to swim again. Um, and I can swim breaststroke, but every time I kick, I turn left. <laughs> <coughs> so I find freestyle is much better. So, uh, so I do the swimming, the cycling, and the running. So of course I do triathlons. And I've done well, three Olympic distance triathlons. And um, it's a miracle, really. I just love it. And when I'm racing or training now, I, I'm not really thinking about being disabled or an amputee. It's just, uh, can I catch the guy in front? <laughs> <coughs> so I, uh, I enjoy the sport. And then um, a couple of years ago, as a 60th birthday and retirement present, um, I decided to have a go at Kilimanjaro with, uh, with, with our second son, Tom. <laughs> you got the next? Yeah. So this was, uh, this was on day four, which oh was, uh, that's the <laughs> crux of the climb, the top of the Barranco Wall. Um, you can probably guess which one I am. Um, Tom is the, uh, the third one in line. And then the next day, next picture, yeah, we made it to the top. So there we are enjoying uh, minus five degrees centigrade and about half the oxygen that you're enjoying in Yvonne Arno. I still can't believe we got away with that. It's, uh, anyway. Absolutely amazing. So what would you say to people who are perhaps facing hard times and maybe even questioning God or their faith? What would be something that you'd say to that? I think I would answer that from my experience because in those early days when things were really rough uh, I went through that questioning I mean what is going on here uh, things were just so awful but the um, but I've known Jesus since I was a little boy and I've always spoken to him about my fears and dreams and um, you know that bit in the in the Gospels where things get a bit sweaty for Jesus and the disciples and a number of followers drift away. And Jesus says to his disciples, well, are you going to leave me as well? And Peter says, Lord, who would I go to? I mean, you've got the words of eternal life. There is nowhere else to go. And, and that was the conclusion I came to. And yeah, I've, I love Jesus. I, I've built my life on this faith. And there is nowhere else. We've built our marriage on this faith. There is nowhere else to go to. And related to that, don't expect to understand everything. I mean, mm. you touched on this with Nikki. Um, we can't understand everything. I mean, why me? And all the miles I've ridden on a motorcycle, why, when I've got my wife on the pillion, would this happen? Mm. So I, I have this list list of Chris, things that Chris does not understand <laughs> and I wrote this on my list and when I go to heaven that list is going with me <laughs> because I want some answers <laughs> but I have a feeling that when I get to heaven I'll throw the list away because Aww. because then I think I'll understand everything so I don't have to understand everything now but as far as my relationship with Jesus is concerned, I'm in. I mean, th there is nowhere else to go. I'm in. Oh, great.
we could finish there. But um, one thing I would just say, a practical thing that I've found, because a year after the accident, actually, our eldest son had cancer. So, you know, we were, we were back to sort of battling the understanding and everything. But just, if you can, find a verse, a verse that means something to you, a verse that's relevant, and just hang on to it. You know, it's, it's not an accident that Jesus is the word. You know, and I just found as I clung to that, you know, all things work together for good. I mean, from where I was sitting, that was just faith. There was nothing that was good at that time. Um, and you just hang on. And it, it, it just brought me so close to God. And um, all things have worked together for good. Thank you, Jesus. One of the most poignant and wonderful things that's come through from all that you've been saying is, is how whilst you've all suffered the most unimaginable things throughout your lives, that you all testify to the goodness and the love and the support that, that God has shown you. And I know that that's true for me too. I, I know that as when I went through that I went through with the tumour, that's something that is true for me too. I can testify to that. And you guys have been amazing in the way that you've just shine out and you've spoken out about how God has just been there for you. And, and you, just, you just love Jesus throughout no matter what uh, has happened. Haven't they been incredible? It's just been the most wonderful morning. I've loved hearing you all. I love Alpha Sundays. The whole thing that I want to say now is that Alpha starts on Tuesday in Guildford, on Wednesday in Woking, 7.45 at both places. We'd love to see as many of you there as possible. If you're curious about what we've been saying, if you've got friends or family that you'd like to bring along, it's the most amazingly simple, easy, lovely way to find out about Christianity, find out about what church is all about, who this Jesus is. We have a meal, we have a chat, and we have quiz night afterwards. So you can come ask your questions uh, at Alpha and then go and answer questions afterwards. So come along on Tuesday or on Wednesday. And that's it. <laughs>